This is All India Radio. In the weekly program, Current Affairs, now we bring you a discussion on major bills in the winter session of Parliament. The participants are political analyst Anand Mishra and Sandeep Hukan. Aditi Tandon, journalist, initiates and moderates the discussion. The winter session of Parliament came to a wrap today and it was a highly productive session and also extremely heated debates were witnessed on a range of bills and a range of political issues. Even today, before the House wound up, uh, there was a debate around a certain remark that former Congress President Rahul Gandhi had made in Jharkhand. Coming back to the larger issue and uh, the issue of legislative agenda of the government and the productivity of the government, the Lok Sabha recorded a productivity of 106% in the winter session and Rajya Sabha recorded that of 99%. This is the statement given by Parliamentary Affairs Minister Prahlad Joshi today as he described how the session went. During the session, as we know, 18 bills were introduced, 14 were passed by the lower house, the Lok Sabha, and 15 were passed by the Rajya Sabha. And we've all seen this particular session of Parliament has been fully and comprehensively dominated by the Citizenship Amendment Bill, which amends the Citizenship Law of 1955 to give citizenship of India to six non-Muslim minorities who have been persecuted on religious grounds in three bordering countries of India, Pakistan, Afghanistan and Bangladesh. So let's begin with this important bill and we'll take up other bills as the discussion goes forward. Anand, what do you think in a gist, how do you see the political clashes building up around the Citizenship Amendment Bill considering Assam is currently under curfew? Aditi, if you see, the northeastern states are on boil. So, and the kind of protests that are happening here, perhaps, that was not imagined by the government also, because the scale of protests was perhaps not in the mind space. Because far as the bill is concerned, it was on the agenda of BJP for a long time. If you remember, in the last government also, they tried to push it through. They passed it in Lok Sabha, they could not bring it in Rajya Sabha. Obviously, numbers was a priority then, and perhaps was felt that they could not have the numbers so easily at that time. So, gone ahead with it, they have fulfilled one of their key promises. Because the government's argument is that uh, since uh, these minorities were being persecuted in the neighboring countries, Pakistan, Afghanistan and Bangladesh, so there was some country, India being the most populous country, had to provide some succor to them. But this bill has different perspectives. If you see, there is a North Indian perspective, there is a North Eastern perspective. So possibly the second aspect possibly was not taken into account that much. And that is why this challenge is coming up before them. That is why this kind of protest is happening here. We will have to really see how it pans out in the time to come because there seems to be no letdown in the protest in Northeast. Sandeep, Union Home Minister Mr. Amit Shah, when he was uh, replying to the debate in both the Houses of Parliament, he primarily said that this bill was necessary because the country was divided on the basis of religion. And he launched a very scathing attack on the Congress party saying that you were in the position of authority at that time and you were the ones who accepted this partition. Naturally, all Congress leaders contested that in both houses. Be that as it may, the Home Minister also made a point that it is important to look at two issues when you look at the Citizenship Amendment Bill. One, they have chosen three countries that are bordering India. Two, they have chosen theocratic states which have Islam as the professed state religion. And the minister has repeatedly said in both houses of parliament that the bill has nothing to do with the Muslims of the country. The bill only seeks to give citizenship to a large mass of religiously persecuted six minorities, namely Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs, Jains, Parsis and Christians. 
So he is basically making an argument that Muslims are not a minority in the theocratic states that he's stating. So where do you think is the complication? Why do you think Assam is boiling? Anand was saying that there are two perspectives to this entire debate. One is that theoretically you can say that it also includes, apart from Hindus in these countries, that is in Pakistan, Afghanistan and Bangladesh, it also includes other communities like Buddhists, Sikhs, Christians, others, but also Hindus. That is one perspective and they are saying that since the Hindus were persecuted and that is why they had no other place to go, that is why they have now, it is a law for them to seek citizenship. Earlier, there was no such law. We don't have a refugee law in India. So this is addressing that issue. Sanan was saying was the Northeast perspective and the Northeast perspective, it is not about religion. It is actually about people fighting for their identity because one must understand that in the Northeast, it's complex issue in terms of demography. You have many, many tribal communities. You have many different ethnic groups coexisting and there are fault lines existing from before. It's not as if that it started just suddenly. But what happens is that when you bring in something like this, no matter how many rounds of discussions or consultations you do, there will always be a difference of opinion between New Delhi thought and what uh, people on the ground understood. And that is precisely what has happened. One has to appreciate the fact that Assam is a state that has dealt with the problem of immigration, infiltration, however you call it, undocumented migrants coming and settling there, that is one, post-1971. The other issue has been, of course, that the Assam agitation that went on between 1979 and 1985, that essentially was what is also called as the anti-foreigners movement. The Assam movement was essentially an anti-foreigners movement where the local people believed that large-scale influx that went on unchecked has created an imbalance in terms of the locals themselves getting outnumbered. It was a fight for their own culture and language and identity, as I said. All of that resulted in the Assam Accord of 1985. What the Citizenship Bill does, of course, the bill does make provisions to protect what was mentioned in the Clause 6A of the Assam Accord and Clause 5 and 6 of protecting indigenous people and their identities. Even the citizenship high-level committee was set up. But those fears are very much there. That is why you see Assam such a boil. And I completely agree with Anand when he says that certainly the government had not anticipated this sort of protest. Guwahati was supposed to host the Japanese Prime Minister. Guwahati was the host city, as it were, for Indo-Japan summit, which has now been postponed. And right in saying that perhaps uh, the scale of protests was not anticipated. But if you look at the body of the bill, it does say that the bill will not apply to minorities residing anywhere in India, barring the tribal areas of Assam, Meghalaya, Mizoram or Tripura, as included in the sixth schedule of the constitution. So these areas have been left out. Plus, it has also been said that the Citizenship Amendment Bill will not cover areas under the Inner Line Notified Permit under the Bengal Eastern Frontier Regulation of 1873. But as you said, your point is well taken. But let's move forward, Anand. A legal challenge to the Citizenship Amendment Bill is expected. The Indian Union Muslim League has already gone to the Supreme Court yesterday and the President also gave his assent to the bill last night. So how do you think? Politically, this is going to pan out because I believe the Congress party is also looking at challenging the bill on grounds that it allegedly violates Article 14 of the Constitution, which is uh, equality before law. 
as you rightly pointed out that the bill excludes some areas of northeast especially assam provisions means that arunachal pradesh nagaland mizoram along with almost whole of meghalaya and parts of assam and tripura stay out of the purview of the bill that's why you see the presence of the protest in assam because the bill does not exclude the entire assam area as far as this opposition versus government politics is concerned that will continue for some time that will continue legally what happens in the supreme court that we will have to wait for few more days to see but definitely from both sides you find equally strong arguments government side you feel the ministers are arguing that since it's a decision of parliament policy decision the other day hearing mr harish salve was also saying that's a policy decision so there may not be much of role for the supreme court to really intervene into the matter because effectively the government's argument is that these six minorities were being persecuted in the three countries and hence a provision has been enabling provision is being made through the bill to allow them to get citizenship of the country which was happening anyway for long time for different communities the bill has been amended a number of times now whether this questions the basic tenet of secularism of the constitution that is question that has to be decided perhaps that will come for legal scrutiny when the bill goes to supreme court Sandeep the primary argument of the government behind the citizenship amendment bill is the principle of reasonable classification allowed under the right to equality law article 14 of the constitution so home minister mr amit shah mentioned repeatedly in both the houses that there have been occasions in the past when respective governments have invoked the reasonable classification proviso to allow people to get citizenship of india for instance mrs indira gandhi in the case of 1971 after bangladesh was created a lot of refugees were then allowed but at that time hindu refugees for instance from pakistan were not allowed so the government of the day decided that we are going to open our borders for the bangladeshi refugees so likewise this is the argument that the government is making and the government seems confident that this particular bill is good in law how do you see politically this situation developing do you see the government having an edge because the government and prime minister narendra modi has personally told all the mps of the bjp to go in refugee colonies and to celebrate this bill with those refugees basically the government is taking a very high moral ground in saying that see here is a strong government which is going to now grant citizenship to minority refugees from these theocratic states which had been persecuted for years and home minister did say in parliament ask the congress why did you not do all this and then a counter argument was made by the government that uh, the entire debate has come around the issue of muslim exclusion and that you are not saying much about the inclusion of the six non muslim minorities politically how is this going to play out of course the government of the day can take the high moral ground here because it's a fact that even legal experts the other day one heard mr harish salve saying that this reasonable classification proviso has been used and it need not necessarily violate article 14 or equality before law because the government could decide the counter argument of course has been that citizenship has never been based on religion and i followed the debate in the rajya sabha where say satish mishra of the bsp said that how do you decide only three countries why not sri lanka or some other country and open up minorities then the similar point was made by mr chidambaram who said that tamil minorities would be left out so those issues we you know opposition will make but the government will certainly try to because this has been a long term agenda of the government if you recall aditi that even before the 2014 elections giving citizenship rights 
to Hindu minorities from Pakistan was an explicit promise. And the BJP did not introduce this surreptitiously. It was part of their manifesto, of 2019 manifesto. And despite that, Northeast overwhelmingly, at least Assam, quite overwhelmingly voted for the BJP. You know, 9 out of 14 uh, MPs are from Assam. I think problem also lies in the fact that how it is appreciated, the problem of infiltration, how it is appreciated by people in power in Delhi and the people on the ground, protesters, the local people there. That is one of the reasons. The other reason, as Anand was explaining to you, that, you know, why have we not seen these kind of such... Assam has virtually erupted, whereas other states haven't. So why this big difference? The big difference, majority of these states are protected under sixth schedule. So you can go and reside, but, you know, you cannot buy property. So your property, then inner line permit also makes it clear that if you are going there even for a short visit, your records are kept. These provisions, barring some very few districts of Assam, these provisions are not there in Assam. So coupled with the fact that the state has had to take burden of influx of people from Bangladesh, with the absence of these protective measures, this is what, in my opinion, has flared up the situation task for the government to reach out to the people and we've seen the Prime Minister doing that yesterday. It remains to be seen what the larger and long-term consequences of the Citizenship Amendment Bill are going to be but clearly the government is not apologetic or is not going back or talking about anything other than the fact that we've done a great thing and Mr. Amit Shah has gone on to say in Parliament that we are here to address and confront eye-to-eye, the bigger problems of the country. We could also have had a status quo for five years, done our part and left. And he seems to be making the argument that we are not bothered about the political cost of this bill, if any. You want to add something? Aditi, I would just like to tell you one thing. See, the stakes for BJP are really high in Northeast because, see, in 2016, when they formed the first government in any Northeastern state in Assam, which is considered a gateway to our Northeast, it was considered a big success after that they formed NEDA and they gradually expanded their footprint in entire northeastern region. So the kind of protest that is building around this issue, I think that's going to have cascading effect in the longer run also. That loss is there for BJP. But if you look at in terms of total gain and loss, paying electoral dividends is concerned. I think BJP in a position of making some inroads, making some deeper gains. Because this sentiment of Hindus being persecuted in these three Islamic republics that resonates on the ground among a large number of population. There is no denying the fact that there has been a minority persecution going on in these three countries. It's not something which is out of blue. I think the first big political test for the government will be the elections in West Bengal, but we'll see about that. Coming to another very important bill that was passed in the winter session, the Constitution 106th Amendment Bill that extends for 10 years the existing reservation of seats in Parliament and in state legislatures for members of the scheduled castes and scheduled tribe communities. Sandeep, this is again a very important bill and this also had an aside in the sense that the existing law said, the Constitution of India says that for 70 years from the commencement of the Constitution, you will have these reservations available for SCs, STs and there will be two nominated members of the Anglo-Indian community. So whereas the government has explicitly stated that it wants to extend by 10 years this reservation deadline, which is supposed to end on 25th January 2020, it has not said so in respect of the two members of the Anglo-Indian community. 
And we all saw that it became an issue in the parliament. In fact, Derek O'Brien, who is the leader of Trinamool Congress in Rajya Sabha, himself a member of the Anglo-Indian <coughs> community, making a very passionate appeal that you should also extend this nomination for Anglo-Indian community. But of course, the government is trying to give a message to the scheduled castes and scheduled tribes, again, a very underprivileged section of our society, that reservations are here to stay and that we are not going to tinker with any provisions of the constitution because you remember there has been a debate around whether the BJP is going to continue with this policy. So government has made it clear that reservations are here to stay. The importance of the bill is actually in the political signaling that the BJP wants to send and you are absolutely right. We all recall how the opposition went to town with RSS chief's comment about uh, questioning whether there should be reservations without a deadline and whether there should be infinitely whether reservation policy should there be rethink on continuing with the current policy and that statement cost them politically in bihar just before the bihar assembly elections and subsequently that statement was used by the opposition against the bjp government several times so this bill in a way puts an end to that debate the government can now turn around and say that don't go by statements go by what we have done the action shows that uh, we believe in the reservation policy because from time to time we have seen opposition questioning the government on this count so this is an important signal that they have sent and as far as the anglo indian community is concerned i think the argument is that the community itself is now just a little short of 300 in number so whether there is any relevance for having two members of the community represented in parliament because when this provision was made the situation of the country was very different and now after 70 years of independence it's very different of course that's not how the community members look at it and Derek O'Brien for example is one of them who made a very passionate speech saying that because the numbers are so little it is incumbent upon the government all the more to ensure that their unique identity is protected So under this provision of the constitution Anand wherein you have reservation of seats for SCs STs currently we have 84 MPs of scheduled caste community in Lok Sabha 47 MPs of the scheduled tribe community and all over the country if we see there are 614 scheduled caste MLAs and 554 scheduled tribe MLAs and law minister mr ravi shankar prasad when he was replying to this particular debate on the bill he was making this point that see a new generation of leadership from these communities has emerged because of the available reservation under the constitution a very important point that law minister made in the course of debate on this bill was that there is not going to be any creamy layer for the scheduled caste and scheduled tribe community because you remember there was a debate and opposition parties in certain states have been talking about possibilities of a creamy layer along the lines of the obc community where you actually have mm. a concept of creamy layer but government makes it very clear looking at the dalit mass voters that there is not going to be any creamy layer for these two communities this is an underprivileged bracket and it is going to continue like this if we set aside this reservation for obc in which lot of politics are also behind the decision and everything Constitutionally, also you cannot prescribe a creamy layer for SCST. That debate was going on, the buzz was going on, but when the reservation was provided to SCST, this possibility of introducing a creamy layer at later stage was also not there. So this cannot be done. So this is a kind of reassuring that the government is not going to make any special effort to bring in creamy layer in the matter of SCST reservation. 
See, this bill is mainly concerned with reservation in legislature. So, through this uh, bill, the government is also giving a larger signal that not only in legislative bodies, overall reservation policy also the government is has no plans to go for a relook. Despite the fact that from time to time there have been demands from RSS for a review of uh, this entire gamut of policy. As uh, Fukan rightly pointed out, in uh, all of us have seen that in 2015 Bihar Assembly polls, this cost BJP dearly. And even two years back, we had seen massive Dalit protests. So the government had nothing to do with that. The Supreme Court had uh, tried to some kind of do a balance in uh, this uh, Sea Atrocities Act. The government has to brand then also. First, a major step towards reassuring the communities that see, when we are not touching your reservation in parliament and legislative bodies, then definitely we are not going to do it otherwise also. Correct. So basically they are trying to reassure, as you both said, trying to reassure the SCST community that the status quo as far as reservations prevail will continue and there is going to be no change. So nobody should actually look at any kind of speculation around that. A very important information that was given to Parliament by the government during the debate on this bill was that there is going to be very shortly an All India Judicial Service where also there will be a provision for SCs, STs. So as you said correctly, mm-hmm. that they are taking it forward actually. There is no way they are going backward. And that is going to be a big leap. They are really able to do it with a big leap and uh, we'll have to see how judiciary also responds to it. Absolutely. Now coming to very important bills uh, that were introduced and piloted by Health Minister Harsh Vardhan. Sandeep, uh, the first bill that we need to talk about is this, the Surrogacy Regulation Bill of 2019 a landmark health reform which will ban commercial surrogacy in India and which will only permit surrogacy for altruistic ethical purposes. At the heart of the bill is that you cannot actually rent a womb anymore. It won't work like it used to work uh, before that you can hire any poor woman as a surrogate mother and you can pay her, exploit her, take the child and go away. Now only close relatives a term which will be described at a later stage can be surrogate mothers and there's a whole set of definitions for who can be a surrogate mother, who are the intending parents. There is a whole set of provisions for protecting the child born out of surrogacy. So it's a very forward-looking bill but it is a contentious issue and um, it was sent to the select committee when it came to Rajya Sabha. The bill is extremely noble in its intention. There is no doubt about it because uh, we have all read reports of how People, wealthy families and uh, foreign nationals would come to certain villages, if I am not mistaken, certain villages in Gujarat, where they would. this was a normal commercial practice to rent a womb and have a baby. And then there were several reports. You see, largely this was a completely unregulated sector. So there was no law to regulate this practice. Under what law do you, you know, act against somebody who... There were reports that, for example, if not a healthy baby was born, then the baby was left behind. Health of the surrogate mothers was also a big question mark. So intention of the bill without a shadow of doubt is very good uh, because A, you bring in regulation. B, you also define the purpose for which so that some wealthy family or well-off individual cannot exploit poor family just because, you know, they happen to be from the poor family. A poor woman will not, I mean, poor in the sense that financially weak family, somebody will not be able to exploit them. That is the second part. It's a welcome move. However, I think what is exactly an altruistic, because the word used is that it will be an altruistic surrogacy and only relatives can you know go for such surrogacy so to find relatives 
and then who occupies then there are also other issues about single mother they are not covered so these are issues that were raised perhaps we will see a better version of the bill once it comes out of the committee correct in fact one of the contentious points in the bill as uh, sandeep mentioned anand is that uh, how do you define the term close relatives and there is a lot of demand that you also include friends in it these are not the times when you can actually go to your close relative and tell them that you please bear a baby for me or for anybody else so it's a very contentious issue coming to another bill the bill to ban the manufacture sale and distribution of electronic nicotine delivery systems again a very important bill because a lot of youngsters were getting addicted to these e-hookahs e-cigarettes vapes uh, these are all basically a steam of nicotine which you inhale it gives you the same high and now it is proven that it has lethal health impact that's true ariti because when the solution bigger than the problem then the government thought of doing away with it because um, the basically this e-cigarette was allowed because it was presumed that it will discourage smoking so what happened instead of in place of cigarettes and tobaccos these youngsters started using e-cigarettes more and more as an addiction tool of de-addiction in other countries also in other western countries also it was felt that this e-cigarette is failing to work as an alternative is failing to work as a tool of de-addiction so others have done it before India has much later but it's a welcome move it has to be done i think it's a very welcome move it's for a the welcome sim- move, yeah. simple reason yeah. that you know it seeks to remember it does not penalize somebody who is using the cigarette because it's young children youths who are using it it actually gives time to everybody to surrender the e cigarette and other nicotine delivery devices if they have these in their possession moving on sandeep in context of politics of today two very important bills were one was of, of course the bill that regularizes a lot of illegal colonies in delhi and um, it was a very important bill a lot of families have been affected how do you see the impacts of that bill it's a direct relation to the upcoming assembly elections bjp is taking the assembly elections in delhi very very seriously and they do face a challenge from the aam aadmi party so which is why whether it was the quality of water being supplied by delhi jal board or unauthorized colonies or pollution in delhi we have seen very intense and heated debate among uh, bjp members and those from up both in the rajya sabha as well as in the lok sabha and i think it's directly related to anand we actually see both uh, bjp of course because it's in the government it has passed the bill so naturally they will claim credit for it but aam aadmi party Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal is also saying that we were the ones writing to the center to actually make these colonies legal. Let's see, there are 8 lakh people involved in this whole colonies. So, 8 lakh families. Families, mind you. So, if you just do multiply by 3, so that is some 20 lakh, 20-24 lakh. So, it's a huge voters. voting population. So, naturally, both uh, the parties will try to derive maximum mileage out of it. But in this tug of political war, if some welfare happens to people, why not? Right, correct. Let's also quickly uh, look at the SPG amendment bill again a politically sensitive bill generated a lot of debate <clears> because it said that the families of former prime ministers are not going to be protected endlessly like we've seen the gandhis had the SPG protection so the SPG uh, amendment bill now says that the prime minister will be protected and the former prime minister and their families for a period of 5 years so sandeep uh, how does that uh, pan out Well I mean this has been an issue that was raised by the Congress I mean uh, because the Gandhi family was involved three members of their family 
But that has been the case earlier as well. I mean, you know, from time to time, governments, you know, they review the threat security threat assessment. And if you recall, former prime ministers like Indira Kumar Gujral, the security was taken away. But it's true. Late Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee's uh, SPG security was continued until his last days. So Congress is saying that this was this is uh, basically you know scoring over their political rivals. But the Home Minister was on record saying that that is not the case. Right, absolutely. Also, let's uh, mention that the transgender rights bill was also passed by the Parliament in this session. Of course, there's no time left to debate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You were listening to a discussion on major bills in the winter session of Parliament. The participants were political analysts Anand Mishra and Sandeep Pukan. Aditi Tandon, journalist, initiated and moderated the discussion. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can also listen to this program on our website newsonair.com. You can also follow us on the News on AIR app for updates. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsttalks at gmail.com. 